How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Third Line Plug Sandscast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jancy. Tim, how's it going, sir? It's going pretty good. The season of holiday parties has begun. Oh, yeah? How many parties have you gone to so far in the last week or so? Uh, this was our first this weekend. I've got my work one this week, and then I think we have one uh, when we go back to Victoria, and then, yeah, it, then we're into Christmas. Solid. Oh, sorry, no, two now. Two now, because we did the psych- Chelsea Psychology Association one last week. That's right, because you mentioned that you helped her cook for that. Actually, I helped her cook for this one, too. So, Tim, let's talk about today's episode. Today's episode is our holiday episode, which means it's also Season 3, Episode 11, in chronological order, Episode 65, the one and only, the man himself, it's the Eric Carlson episode. So, just a little backstory about Eric Carlson. He was drafted 15th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 2008. He went on to play nine seasons for the Senators, recording 126 goals, 392 assists for 518 points in 627 games. He also went on to win two Norris trophies in 2012 and 2015. And he was also named captain of the Ottawa Senators in October of 2014, replacing Jason Spezza. So, I guess the obvious question that needs to be asked here tim is in the nine seasons that he played for the senators do you have a favorite moment or a couple of moments that really stand out for you with carlson Simon as an ottawa senator i think my favorite moment is and forever will be the aerial pass to hoffman that's just so brilliant that's a pretty good one actually you know what i have to say one of the moments that really stands out for me and there's actually been a couple of them the obvious one that i don't think a lot of people don't bring up anymore is the Mark Stone goal in 2015 against Pittsburgh, because he was the one that set Stone up. But also, against the Boston Bruins in 2017, that play on the blue line that he made to t- help tie the game with Derek Broussard, still in my top five moments with Eric Carlson. Or when he sprung Bobby Ryan in game one of uh, the Pittsburgh series, that was a nice pass. Or what about the goal against the Rangers in 2017 from beside the net? Oh, right. Although it's hard because, well, that was the one that put them past, but uh, yeah, that Rangers series, that's Pajot's. Oh, it's totally Pajot's. But you know, outside of the Pajot four-goal night, that's the one moment that really stands out for me yeah. in that series. Actually, if I could change my answer, I think, and this isn't even an on-the-ice Eric Carlson thing, uh, during Alfredson's retirement game in 2014, Carlson gave up the seat for the night, and I thought that was really cool. Wow, I totally forgot about that moment, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah, and it's just what Eric Carlson is. He's an incredible hockey player with a great sense of class. Yeah, and a great head of hair to match, too. Oh, we have a whole episode about that. That is true, that is true. Actually, my one favorite off-ice Eric Carlson moment actually has to do with Brian Fiber 6. Now, it's not the rant. It's actually on Twitter. This is after when Brad Marchant was caught, I can't remember who it was, he was licking somebody during the playoffs a couple of years ago, and Brian's like, what's going to happen if I start licking people? And Eric responded with, what if I did it? (laughs) I don't know, or uh, the signed picture at the Wellington Cafe that says, thank you for letting Brian eat here, Eric Carlson. Actually, sorry, you know what? Can I change my answer? Because I think Uh, for you and I, there's only one moment that should really be 
our favorite off the ice moment. It was the final photo of Eric Carlson as an Ottawa Senator standing next to Brian five or six. Yeah. Let's talk about next episode that we're going to do because we're going to be gone until boxing day, Tim. Yeah. And does this mean that I'm going to lose a world juniors bet? I don't believe that you're going to be losing a world juniors bet. Well, not yet. Anyway, not yet. Maybe we'll get our special secret guest in. For sure, for sure. So, for that episode, which will be Season 3, Episode 12, in chronological order, Episode 66. Now, the cover athlete poll for uh, for that is now up on our Twitter page. And we've decided to go with something a little different because there has not been an Ottawa Senator that wore number 66. So we've decided to go with Ottawa Senators personnel. Now, we've got four men on the board. We've got... Sens DJ, Alex Marchand, Senators Social Media Director, Craig Medaglia, and Ottawa Senators Play-By-Play and Color Guy, Dean Brown and Gord Wilson. There's a lot of real good choices there. Although, I really don't want Boro Cop coming in and shooting us up if we cho- choose wrong. That's true. Or we'll be like the old couple that he blows up in the end. Yeah. Did the old couple die? Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. What's also been fantastic, Tim, I guess that we should talk about last week's episode because it was not a bad episode, but honestly, I felt that by the end of it, our energy levels were kind of meh. I've just been flying the whole day. Like, you could see it was like, I got, real, I got really into talking about play-by-play review, and then I was gone. Yeah, it was one of those episodes that... It was not a bad episode, and it turned out okay, but yeah, I think you can tell by it, by the final game, we were just like, okay, let's let's wrap her up. Yeah, pretty much. I guess it's honestly, I probably shouldn't try recording things at 10 p.m. That was on me. Yeah, but you know what? You live and learn, right? Exactly. Now, given that you were talking about flying... And as we said last week, you were in our nation's capital, Ottawa, Ontario. So for our weekly recap, I guess that's where we should be going with this, Tim. i got to ask the all-important question that I'm sure our five listeners are wondering. <laughs> How was your week in Ottawa? Oh, it was pretty good. It was mostly work, to be honest. So, yeah, I was just in Ottawa to do a bit of job training. Did manage to find some time to have uh, Burgers and Fries Forever. It was everything I hoped it would be and more. I had a burger that was a beef patty on a chicken patty covered in jalapenos and spicy mayo. I swear, man, sometimes you have a death wish. <laughs> I walked it off. Well, that's not too bad. Where whereabouts in Ottawa were you staying? Now, you were staying right downtown, correct? Yep. So I was staying at the Andaz again, so that's in the market. Well, that's not too bad. Did you get a chance to see or check out Big Rig Brewery? No, even though it's on the train line, I just the timelines didn't line up because my flight was late. If it wasn't, I actually probably would have gone. But I did learn something on the way out, and I, this has probably been public knowledge for a while, and uh, I'm just learning it, and I feel a little ashamed. They've been doing a pretty heavy renos on the Ottawa airport for a while, and they've taken out a bunch of the old restaurants. But guess what's going to be at the airport when they're done? Big Rig Brewery? Big Rig Brewery. 
That's fantastic, man. You know what? And I, I know I brought this up in the past. Like, how come the Ottawa Senators don't have a team store at the airport? That, you would think that would be a prime location for them, right? Where you have travelers either are from Ottawa or coming to Ottawa. And you'd be like, oh, look, a team store. Like, I know in the Calgary airport, they have a Calgary Flames team store there. But I'm surprised that the Sens don't do the same for the Ottawa airport. Yeah, although the hard thing with especially the Sens is with a lot of the travelers going through YOW, it, it's a lot of government workers. So it's a lot of get in, get out. So you want you don't have as many souvenir shops as you have restaurants. I think it's just a business decision on the airport's end. It's also kind of a small terminal. Well, like YYC is huge. Like it is one of Canada's bigger airports. Mm-hmm. So they have space for that sort of stuff. And like I'd like to see, uh, and I guess the other hard thing is space for tourism dollars is going to be visiting the nation's capital. I would like to see even a small team store and like the like sharing a space with the Hudson's Bay. Yeah, even like a kiosk. It doesn't even need yeah. to be a full team store. Like uh, the Victoria Royals at Christmas time, they always do a kiosk at Hillside and Mayfair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you could probably get a pop up kiosk in an airport. Like I know Calgary has those sorts of kiosks, so I don't see why not. Maybe it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, because the the ratio to, of tourists to government workers is isn't high enough. Yeah, fair enough. But I'll tell I'd you one very thing. I'm happy to see it because then I could buy myself a jersey without having to go all the way up to freaking Canada. Well, I guess they don't even have the team store anymore in the market, do they, anymore? Because it was only there for the NHL 100 Classic. Yeah, that's that's the thing that actually really pisses me off is, uh, like, in Calgary, you've got, fan- yeah, yeah, you've got the Fanatic in the airport, you've got a Fanatic downtown, you've got the Fanatic in in the very accessible stadium. Ottawa? <laughs> Out to Canada, you go, loser. Although you can find some center stuff in Rito. But still, it's like, just not having a team store, I think, is kind of a... It's something that I'd like to see more of. Like, you don't get, like, the silly exclusive goods, like the Lego minifigures and stuff like that, that you would get in a team store, in, like, a general sporting goods store. No, that's true. And even when I was in Ottawa a few years ago, that was the one thing that I purposely looked at to see where a team store was that wasn't at the arena because I was right downtown. And because the NHL 100 Classic was in town that weekend, they had a pop-up one. I, oh God, what was it? Was it the Bell Building? I think it was the Bell Building yep. in, in the market. Yes. Yeah, so that's where I got my Eric Carlson and my Kaufman jerseys. Kind of funny that, you know, I got those two, you know, Give it a few months later. But I also got my Mark Stone jersey, which I still have. And honestly, I bought that two years ago. I could count on my one hand the amount of times I've actually worn it. It's a good jersey, though. It's a great jersey. But the thing is, is like, I just, I don't wear my jerseys that much. If I'm watching a game, I'll wear the jerseys. Or if I'm going out on game day, I'll wear it. Yeah, that's true. That's probably the only time I ever wore it. I think the last time I wore my Stone jersey... Might have been Jersey Day that we did at work, but other than that, no, it was that. It was just like, no. Although, if I buy a Brady to Chuck jersey, you bet your ass I'm going to be wearing that a lot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. However, I have not purchased that one yet, but hopefully with his new extension this coming summer, I will gladly give them all of my money. Actually, I think I wore my Alfie jersey in Tokyo the first day I was there because it was the NHL draft. It turned out to be a good conversation starter. You know what would have been a really good conversation starter? If you had a Jamie McLennan jersey when you were over there. Yeah. 
it's funny because uh, we're going up the elevator to Tokyo Tower, and I ran into some people who had worked at the Bank of Canada previously. Yeah. So they recognized the Ottawa Senators jersey, and we started chirping the leaves, of course. And, yeah, and then I was, like, talking because I just finished up at the Bank of Canada when I was in Tokyo the first time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got to talk to some people who knew what the, what the hell I was talking about. Pretty cool. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Tim. You know what's better than chirping the Leafs as a Senators fan? Your favorite little thing? Segwaying into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Nice. Yeah, you know what's funny? I actually did get a DM from one of our listeners about the the Peace Tower Bells. And yeah. he just sent me like a, th- like a two, no, two or three word response that just says, nailed it. Gotta love it. Gotta love it. However, I'm not loving the start of the stop of the hour because we've got a couple of really sad stories to talk about. Now, we're going to start off with the Montreal Canadiens have announced that former defenseman and Hockey Hall of Famer Gila Point has been diagnosed with oral cancer. Said cancer was located at the base of the tongue and he will begin treatment in the coming weeks. LaPointe spent 14 seasons with the Canadiens, recording 166 goals, 406 assists for 572 points in 770 games, winning six Stanley Cups. The nice thing is, oral cancer has a high survivability rate from prognosis. So, hopefully you'll be able to beat it. For sure. Much like our next player. Now, given that the podcast network that we're affiliated with, and that's loaded with Flyers fans, and that's what our Twitter feed has been loaded with over the last couple of days, build up your Flyers for it. Oscar Lindbaum has been diagnosed with Ewing's sarcoma, a form of bone cancer. He is expected to be out for the remainder of the season. Limbaugh recorded 11 goals, 7 assists for 18 points in 30 games this season for the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, it's funny. I actually can't find a prognosis for Ewing sarcoma for adults. But for children, it seems to be about 70% survive. So here's hoping he can beat it too. Now, Tim, given that we started off top of the air with some sad stories, it's only fitting that we can segue out of that with a good story. And we actually got to give a shout-out to San Jose Sharks for Joe Thornton as he became the 12th player in NHL history to play 1,600 NHL games during their game versus the New York Rangers. Thornton is the leader among active NHL players in assists with 1,075 and points with 1,488. And you know what? I bet you... Anything when he retires, first ballot Hall of Famer for Joe Thornton. I think, and it's always a shame. Now, you and I have talked about this in the past about players who have these amazing careers, but the one thing they always have against them is that they don't have a Stanley Cup ring to show for it. And Drew McGinley is a very big example of this, and Henrik Lundqvist is a big example of this. But Joe Thornton, out of all the active players, this is the guy he's probably going to be the biggest one in NHL history at the end of it. Yeah, and it's funny because he's come so close so many damn times, and if his GMs could just find him, find him a freaking goalie, he'd have one. Like, that's the only thing that's killed those Sharks teams. Like, Evgeny Nabokov was a choker. Anti-Niemi is anti-Niemi. Yep. And uh, Martin Jones had a very good season that almost got them to the Cup in 2015. But it's just, sorry, 2016, my bad. But at the same time, it's the man's had an incredible career. The fact that he's the 12th player to play 1,600 games, 
is that's something that's worth putting in the career. And I don't think Jumbo Joe's done either because he still looks pretty good in San Jose despite all the issues that San Jose has been having. I wouldn't be surprised if Jumbo Joe wants to play, does the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. But if I'm not mistaken, I think the one of the things about him signing his contract during the summer is that this would be his final year. Now, mm. maybe if he continues throughout the season and feels like he still has some in the tank, then maybe he can come back and continue his NHL career. Yeah. It's going to be weird watching an NHL without Joe Thornton. That is true. That is true. But you know what? You know, and it is funny because when these players end up retiring, that's when you really fully appreciate their careers because you can't appreciate them as they're happening, right? Because it's just the norm. He's like, oh, yeah, Joe Thornton had 110 points last season. Yeah, that's just Joe Thornton doing what he does. Yeah. It's weird, like, just seeing all the players you grew up with retire. I know. Well, even the story throughout the summer was Alexander Ovechkin stated that he might only play a couple more years. I remember texting my cousin saying, man, like, this is weird. Like, we spent all this time seeing him in the NHL, and now it's come to this point where there might be a day where he's not in it. Yeah. This is what growing old is, isn't it, Ted? I don't like it, man. I don't like it. Yeah, make it stop. Yep. So, Tim, over the last couple of weeks, one of the big NHL news stories has been the Akeem Aliou and Bill Peters situation, and finally the NHL has decided to do something about it. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman has unveiled a four-point plan to prevent and handle inappropriate conduct. Said plan will require that all team executives and coaches participate in an annual training program, ensure all inappropriate contact subject to league or team discipline does not occur again. And, will, and they will also create a hotline that can anonymously or with attribution report instances of inappropriate conduct. Now, I know that we've talked about the culture of hockey and things are changing with everything that's going on in junior hockey and in the pros. And now the NHL is seeing that, you know what, this is a big, big issue. And this is not just an isolated incident. So I'm really, really glad to see the NHL is actually taking this seriously and they're taking measures to make sure this doesn't happen again. Well, I guess at the same time, they don't really have a choice in the matter. They don't, but the fact is that, you know, they're showing that they're being proactive about this, right? And obviously all the criticism that the NHL has taken over the last number of years when it comes to CTE and head injuries, and they're thinking, okay, well, they're just blindly ignoring it, well, as all this stuff is happening in the league, and they're actually being proactive about it and saying, you know what, this is a problem, and we can be a part of the solution in fixing this. Fair enough. Former Carolina Hurricanes GM Ron Francis spoke for the first time regarding the physical abuse allegations against Bill Peters while he was head coach of the Carolina Hurricanes. In a recent interview with the Seattle Times' Jeff Baker, Francis explained that management had been aware of physical incidents between two players and Peters during a game prior to the team giving him an extension and felt the situation was behind them. So this is another situation where a lot of people have been talking about Ron Francis, and you and I talked about this a few weeks ago, about this, about the Bill Peters situation and how this would affect his standing as GM of the Seattle expansion team. So I don't know how you felt about this story in particular, but when I was reading the comments that he was making, it almost seemed like 
there's two ways of looking at this. I took it as the team knew about it and really didn't do anything about it. Because, you know what, these incidents have been reported to management, and they're like, yeah, this is probably just behind us, we're not going to do anything about it. Yeah, it's hard because you don't know what actually happened, but from what Ron Francis said, what Ron Brindamore said and put it together, it sounds like it was dealt with and he never did it again. True, the, but, the, but the here's the thing, is, though, is that even the, the former owner of the Carolina Hurricanes has come out and said, if he, and you know what, the team never said anything to him about this. Yeah, because this because he came out and said, "Yeah, I knew nothing about this." Like, obviously, Ron Francis didn't come to me and said, "Hey, this is going on, and I think we should let him go." And the former owner has come out and said, "If he had known about this, he would have fired Bill Peters in a nanosecond." Yeah, and that's I think that's what's kind of surprising about the situation is just Ron Francis sat on it, but at the same time, it's like we don't know what he actually did, and I think the other thing is it's good that he actually got in front of the media and said something. Yeah, because this is better than what he could have done. It's just been like, yeah, no comment, no comment, and just did nothing about it, right? But the fact that he came out and said, says, yeah, the team was aware about it, and we dealt with it. I mean, what more do you want him to say at that point? Other than, yeah, I should have just fired him right on the spot, but at that point, you could have had a wrongful dismissal on his firing. Yeah, it's like, we don't know exactly what happened, and, well, we never will. NHL Seattle has announced that they could reveal logo designs and colors for their new team in February or March, consoling with the possible announcement for their team name. President and CTO Todd Lewicki stated that this is following his presentation to the NHL Board of Governors this past week. So, and I know a lot of people on Twitter have talked about what would be the name, and it seems like, you know, you have a lot of team names, like the Sockeyes were one of them, Totems were one of them. I'm actually quite interested to see where they go with this because obviously the the big team in Seattle is the Seahawks, where professionally, where you have the navy blue and the green, but the NHL already has a team in that in Vancouver with those kind of colors. So I'll be interested to see where they go with their color scheme and logo design with the new well, team. Well, it's hard because, like, yeah, like the Cascadia colors, blue and green, are the colors that all the Seattle teams use, like the Mariners use them, and I believe the the Seattle Thunderbirds of the WHL use them as well. Yep, yeah, they use uh, blue, green, and silver. The only teams in Seattle that don't use those colors is the university teams, like the University of Washington Huskies and Washington State have purple and gold and red and white. Yeah, I guess they could probably use like the Husky colors if they had to, because... Yeah, because, like, Vancouver's part of that kind of Cascadia region, too, and it makes sense for them to have that blue and green color palette. The problem is, especially in Seattle, is that if you go with the Husky colors, is that now you're alienating people who went to school with Washington State, who are the Cougars, right? And the Cougars and the Huskies are the big rivals in that state. So I'm not too sure. Maybe they want to go a different direction with their color scheme, set them apart from, say, the Sonics and the Mariners or the Seahawks or whatever team in Seattle they have, right? So this is why I'm very fascinated and very interested to see where they go with this. Or Vancouver could go back to those the flying V jerseys of the 90s. See, that would be nice, but you know what? You know that the Canucks are not going to do that because the Canucks colors have always been blue and green. Blue and green, yeah. Yeah, but in fairness, the Boston Bruins were always black and gold, and then the Pittsburgh Penguins are like, fuck you, we're going to use black and gold too. 
Yeah, I guess you could. You could just have two teams in the same area with very similar color schemes. That's true. Like, but the, the thing Islanders is, you... the Rangers are pretty close. Sure, the Rangers are more red, white, and blue than the Islanders offer in gold, but still very similar color palettes. That is true, but you can also have the Canucks do what the Bruins did years ago and complain to the league, be like, well, what the hell are you doing? Like, we're the blue and green team, or in the Bruins' case, the black and gold team. Yeah. I don't know. There's enough red and black and red, white, and blue teams in the league that I don't think the league. I don't think it's a big issue. That's true. Even though dark blue, green, and silver in the NHL, oh, that would look so good. Yeah, like, if they just used the Thunderhawks colors and added the silver, it'd probably look good. And it'd look quite different than the Canucks colors. That's true. That is true. But like I said, I'm very interested to see where they go with that. And hopefully when it happens in the springtime, we can talk about it here top of the hour. Yeah, I want to watch the Seattle co-host. So, Tim, we have a couple of firings to talk about. Now, we're going to start off with Dallas Stars have fired head coach Jim Montgomery after one and a half seasons. Montgomery, who joined the Stars as head coach for the 2018-2019 season, recorded a 60-43-10 regular season record with a 7-6 playoff record. The reasoning for his dismissal is due to unprofessional conduct inconsistent with the core values and beliefs of the Dallas Stars and the NHL. So, you know... slur do you think he used? Well, here's the thing, Tim. Now... I am going to call an audit on this one. I'm not going to use the you're fired voice for this one because of the firing itself, right? And obviously we don't know what was said, what was done. And definitely with the Bill Peter situation we were just talking about, this is probably another situation in Dallas where he either did or said something and the team's like, nope, you, that's, not in, that's inappropriate, you're out. Yeah. I think my money is either on... It's probably racial slur, homophobic slur, but, like, really bad. Yeah, I would imagine that. San Jose Sharks have also fired their head coach, Peter DeVore, after four and a half seasons. DeVore, who joined the Sharks for the 2015-2016 season and went on to record a 183, 113-32 regular season record while recording a 32-28 and record in the playoffs. So, Peter... I just want to go on and say on record, as on behalf of the San Jose Sharks and their fans, thank you so much for everything you've done, and thank you for taking the team to the Stock of Finals in 2016. But, i got a couple of words to say, Peter. Peter DeBoer, you're fired! There we go, the voice is back. So, honestly, I think I'm safe to say that we saw this coming, especially with all the talent the San Jose Sharks has on their team and everything that's going on for San Jose, they should be doing better than they are right now. And I understand that, you know, there's injuries and inconsistencies in the team, but you know what? Maybe this is a jolt that the Sharks need to get their ass in gear and get back in the playoffs, which I'm just going to say on record, I don't want to see that. Yeah, me neither. But at the same time, I actually don't blame Peter DeBeer for this because, like, the underlying for San Jose looks all right. It's just... Holy crap, what is Martin Jones? If your goalie's not doing anything, you're not going to win games. And Martin Jones and uh, Aaron Delph both had awful seasons. I saw this one coming too because there's a lot of money not doing a lot of work on that team. Well, they're playing well enough to be like kind of a wildcard team, but that goaltending is an atrocity. Mm, and you would think that... If the San Jose Sharks had better goaltending, where would they be right now in that Western Conference? 
Yeah, so I'm surprised they fired the coach because it's not like firing the coach is going to make it better. I, you know what? I kind of disagree because there's always instances of the team fires their head coach and they go on to do something great. I mean, the Pittsburgh Penguins did it when they fired Dan Balsma and then they went on to win back-to-back Stanley Cups. Yeah. You look at mm. the Ottawa and Senators. Quantitatively, they do. Yeah, or the Ottawa Senators when we fired Guy Boucher brought Crawford in. Like, Crawford kind of turned the team around a little bit, even though we didn't keep him on full-time. But you know what? There's always those instances, and... A lot of people would point, obviously, the Leafs, right? With When Babcock got fired, Sheldon Keefe came in, the team played better. But, honestly, this could be what the Sharks need, right? They could get a new, some new blood in there on head coach, and maybe they could spark something in the team to turn their game around, which I don't want to see because we got their first pick. But at the same time, I think that works for skaters. I don't think it works for goalies. And the goalie's the problem. Yeah, that's true. That is true. At the same time, like... This San Jose Sharks team is definitely weaker than last year. They lost too many good players. Like, gosh, shoot. They lost a bunch of very good skaters to, uh, call, like, they lost uh, Timo Meyer to Colorado. Gustav Nyquist is gone. Marcus Sorensen is gone. Well, they lost Pavelski. And didn't do a ton to replace all of it. So it's not surprising. True. But- Sorry, no, Marcus Sorensen is still there, but... Yeah, it's not surprising it's going the way it's going. Yeah, but it's also tough when you have all this money tied up in players and when said complimentary pieces walk out the door, it's kind of hard to bring in some new ones if they're sort of tight up against the salary cap. Exactly. And then I'm not sure bringing back Patty Marlowe has really helped. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it looked good at the time, but honestly it really hasn't sparked the team to change their ways. Yeah. He's played well enough, to be honest. True, but it's only one player, right? And obviously, yeah, unless, exactly. they're, unless they're going to put goalie pads on him, you know, I don't see what difference he would make. Yeah, well, that's the thing is, honestly, this is going to sound weird, but the Senators have better fancy stats than the Sharks. How is that? That's what I want to know. All right. Like, uh, if we use, like, for instance, Blake uh, McMurray's uh, shots taken, like his threat metrics, Ottawa's threat metrics are better. I'll have to look at uh, Corsica's expected goals to see if that, how that one's going. But uh, XG's for teams and players. Let's see. Oh, expected goals. Oh, I don't want soccer. I want hockey. But yeah, we'll come back to that one. Okay. While you're looking that up, do you want me to go on to the next story? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman said during the Board of Governors meeting on Tuesday that the NHL is focused on holding another World Cup of Hockey as soon as possible. Bettman stated that planning for the tournament will likely not allow for the league to hold one before the end of the 2020-2021 season. This is a tournament that, honestly, I really couldn't care less about. Yeah, it's cool to show off some of the young guns that they did during the 2016 tournament, but honestly, and I know we've talked about this in the past, I would much rather see them go to the Olympics more than anything because you have these guys that represent their countries, right? And while, sure, they may do this in a World Cup tournament, it's just not the same as going it's to the Olympics. It's not an Olympic gold medal. It's not. I mean, honestly, you can get a trophy. Like, that's cool, but it's not a gold medal. Exactly, exactly. And this is the unloved tournament. 
It really is. And I think it was kind of cool the first time they did it. Yeah, than that, not really. Yeah, so as I was saying, uh, going back to Ottawa having better fancy stance than San Jose, on both expected goals for and expected goals against, Ottawa performs better than San Jose according to the evolving hockey model. Actually, Ottawa performs surprisingly well in that model. They just haven't had the star power yet. That's true, though. Imagine all the fancy stats we're going to be when we're actually good one day. That's, honestly, that's one of the reasons why I'm really excited for this rebuild is just what they've, what the Sens have been able to put together has been pretty good. Yeah, I've been honestly happy. And, and you know me, like, I'm not an analytics guy at all. I respect it and I appreciate what it does for teams in the salary cap era. But honestly, I look at it from what I see on the ice from a visual test, right? Is that you see that the, there's a different swagger on this team. There's a different confidence on this team. There's a different, the culture has changed on this team is what I'm trying to say. You know, you went from the toxic culture that, you know, the Mike Kaufman situation caused, Ubergate caused, all the shit for the team. It seems like this has really changed. And now you have guys like Mark Borbieski who've really stepped up and Brady Dechuk is stepping up. So you see, like, a new dawn and a new era for the Senators is just beginning. Yeah, and I think, like, once the Senators mature a bit, this is going to be a team that makes noise in the playoffs. Like, this is the full teardown they should have done 10 years ago. But, you know what, I can't fault Brian Murray too much because it's the team did have playoff success with the retool and still the rebuild. Yeah, and obviously some of the moves they made, like bringing in Craig Anderson, worked out beautifully for them. Hmm. Like the goalie voodoo. Although, I think I've given up on the Sens getting the first overall pick this year. Yeah, I think, honestly... Detroit's just too shit. They're too shit, but you know what? It will be our dumb luck if we actually win it, given how we're playing right now. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I think will happen is, we have a good likelihood of, is... We may not get the first overall pick, but we'll get two in the top ten. Hopefully. One Which, for one for sure. One for sure one in for the top sure. ten. And if San, if San Jose continues just doing whatever it is San Jose does, we could be in for two very good picks. Well, I'll tell you one thing, Tim. It'll make our 2020 Ottawa Senators draft class episode very interesting if that happens. Yeah. So, Tim... Funny. Sorry, Tim. I just want to go off with our final story here because, you know, we started off with an original six story, and it's only fitting that we finish off top of the hour this week with another. New York Rangers forward Brendan Lemieux has suspended two grand for his elbow on Vegas Golden Knights forward Cody Glass. Lemieux is not a repeat offender. So, honestly, I didn't get a chance to see the hit itself, so I have really no opinion on the matter, but I'm just kind of amazed, like, only two grand for his elbow, given that Brady Tachuk got twenty five hundred for his cross check, right? And it's like, okay, well, how is elbowing a guy in the head worse than a guy cross checking somebody and he dives? You know, it's a fool's errand to try and explain the this hockey DPS. I know, I know, how foolish of me. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like. I wish it was better, but it's not. And again, I haven't seen the hit, so I don't have the full opinion. So maybe it is justified. But still, it's, hard, it's kind of hard to get worked up about, you know? It is, especially like if you don't see the hit, 
then we really have no comment to make of it, right? And honestly, with these stories, unless we see it, we don't have an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think that's all of our stories for this week. Absolutely, which can mean only one thing, Tim. It's time to head off into the games. Now, we got three games to talk about. We've got the Bruins versus the Senators, Senators versus Le Canadien, and the Blue Jackets versus Anthony Duclair. But before we do that, let's hit the music. Time to play the game. Time to play the game. Okay, Tim, let's start talking about the Bruins versus the Senators. This is a 5-2 Senators victory. Bruins goals were scored by Patrice Bergeron and Jake DeBrusque. Senators goals were scored by Anthony DeClaire with two, Artem Anisioff, Chris Tenneri, and Jean-Gabriel Bajot. Shots were 40-26 for Boston. Artem Anisioff opens the scoring to make it 1-0 Senators. Anthony DeClaire scores to make it a 2-0 Ottawa Senators game. Patrice Bergeron scores on the wide-open net to make it 2-1. Chris Tenneri scores on the open net from Nemestikov to make it 3-1 Sens. Pajot scores on the empty net to make it 4-1. Jake DeBrus scores on a scramble to make it 4-2. And Duke gets his second of the night to make it 5-2 Senators, which would be the final. Or in this case, it would be a 2-Claire. So I had to condense watch this game. You just say a 2-Claire. I just said 2-Claire. I didn't say... Yes? Stop making up good words. Well, I'm not the one who came up with it. I heard it somewhere. I was like, that's amazing. Wait, did you steal up Twitter? So, Tim, I had to condense watch this game because, obviously, we were, shut up, because we were recording last week's episode, and no, I didn't get that from Twitter, I got that from somewhere else, but that's not the point. <sighs> Three fucking seasons of this shit, I can't believe you're already making me crack up, Tim. Okay, listen, you know what, we should talk about the two-clare guy himself. Anthony DeClaire, two goals, one assist on six shots. Man, he is really showing that he is worthy of that big-time extension, especially in this game. Well, the thing is, is he's not on a shooting rate bender because this is another game where Anthony Duclair was just throwing lasers at the net. Because, let me just check, because he had several several good looks at the net. Mm-hmm. And that's the one thing I was seeing in the condensed game is he looked like he had a lot of really good chances, but also, and this is a compliment that we always have been given him all season, he's that he's always looking to get in position for a one-timer, or he's always in position to get the puck. But that first goal, though, like he and you know how players would try and cradle it and stop it and make a move? He doesn't even try to stop it. He just cradles and fucking whips it right at Tukarask. Yeah, and honestly, not a lot of the centers were doing that, but I think part of that is the Sens got such a big lead in the first period that they just kind of coasted for the rest of the night. Yeah, and that was the one thing that I noticed, too. It looked like Ottawa was coming out with a lot of energy, and they were throwing the body, and they are getting shots in the net early on, but I think as the game went on, you can see that the ice began to tilt for Boston, and that's where you begin to see that Boston really started to throw everything at Anders Nilsson. Yeah, and elite teams aren't able to do that. Like, if they have a weak start yeah, like, Anthony DeClaire had six shots. Like, that's actually pretty impressive. An elite team can just, if they're ha- if the game's not quite going their way, they can always just flip the switch and get themselves going again. Mm-hmm. And Boston Bruins were very capable of that, although Anders Nelson stood on his head. 
Oh, absolutely he did. Absolutely it did. And actually, let's talk about him a little bit. Anders Nilsson, 38 saves, a .950 save percentage. Wow, is this guy lights out for Ottawa in this one. And, And, you know, this is always something that we've always given him props for, is that he always seems to play these really, really good games. But especially in this one, from what I was seeing, and like we were talking about, the ice began to tilt for Boston, and the guy is just like, you know what? Don't worry. I got this, guys. Yeah, and it was weird because there was only one center's defenseman who really had a good night, and that was Thomas Shabbat, who was just all over the ice. The other pairings, the borvietsky zaitsev pairing was, it was an adventure, let's say that. Yeah, and that's the one thing about Ottawa's defense is that outside of Shabbat, it's really been just kind of inconsistent, and we're not really sure what we're seeing. I mean, obviously, Borvieski just throws the body around and does what he does. Zaitsev is... He, he's better than CeCe. That's all I can say. I can't even say that. DeMello, he's been there. You know what? DeMello's been very good. Like, as far as... Like, this was an off night for DeMello, but Dylan DeMello is usually pretty high-quality shutdown defenseman. Like, he makes his lines better. And the Shabbat DeMello pairing has been very good. It has been very good, but the thing is is that DJ Smith is not showing a lot of confidence with that, right? And obviously, Shabbat last year showed he and DeMello had a lot of chemistry, but I'm not sure why DJ Smith is always trying to shuffle the lines on defense, right? And, you know, it's been proven that DeMello and Shabbat look good together. I'm not sure why DJ Smith doesn't stay with them, but... It's the same thing that we can say on offense. Like, I'm not sure why he broke up the Chuck Logan Brown, Duclair line. Like, that was pretty good for the Senators. And now you have Duke on the third line. And Brady's on the first line. Like, what the hell's going on now? Yeah, it's... I guess the thing is, like, you kind of have to move... You have to move your parts around. And at least for the Senators, Shabbat and DeMello are your best guys. So if you're feeling you need to spread the wealth, it, I guess you do that. Because, like, Borvietsky is competent, I think he's a very competent third-line defenseman. I'm not sure he plays 21 minutes a night against the best, against your, the opponent's best players. No, absolutely not. And, you know, and obviously, as you said, right, he's a very good third-pairing defenseman, and he does very does well at it. But are you going to bump up in the first line and let him play 20 minutes? Absolutely not. You're going to let him play 13, 14, 15 minutes a night and maybe shut those teams down when they have to. Yeah, because and Zeitzkep got eaten alive by the Bergeron line, and it was only because uh, Nielsen was there to bail them out, basically. That's true. Uh, one final note I want to make of this game before we head on to the second game of the evening. Artner and Nizioff, one goal and three shots. From what I was seeing, this is actually one of the rare games that he actually showed up in. You know, we're going to be able to say that more this week. I know. I, I don't even know how to even come back from that now, Tim, honestly. I mean, look, the two Clareth one, I can come back from that, but the Artem Anisioff actually doing shit? I don't know, man. I don't know if I can do it. Yeah. I actually liked what he did this week. Maybe it was just him being slowed down by injury. Maybe. Let's head into the second game of the evening. Sens versus Canadians. This is a 3-2 Montreal overtime victory. Sens was scored by the real American, Brady Chuck and Connor Brown. Canadiens goals were scored by Nick Cousins, Ben Sherratt, and Thomas Tata in overtime. 
Shots were 37-29 for Ottawa. An exciting game from start to finish. Ottawa started off this game outplaying Montreal, applying heavy four-check pressure and getting a number of shots. Montreal throughout this game were on the attack on both sides of the puck as they would take a two-goal lead, which Ottawa clawed back to tie it. But Montreal ended up potting the winner in OT, securing the W. So, we already mentioned him in the goal, and we got to talk about him right now. The real American, Brady Chuck. One goal, one assist on eight shots. This is one of the teams that I always look forward to watching because Brady Chuck always seems to bring it against the Montreal Canadiens, much like with the Detroit Red Wings. I really loved how he played in this game, especially when he was going up against Shea Weber in that second period. Yeah, and the Senators really took it to Montreal in that second period. And even though Tatar scored to make it 2-0, the Senators really stormed back in the third as well, including what's the Ottawa Senators power play actually doing something. I know, and that's the one thing I, I've noticed over the last several games is that our power play has actually been able to get something going, right? And obviously at the beginning of the season, we were, what, 0-23 on the power play? Something like that? Yeah, and the other hard thing with this is uh, watching the power play when they don't score... You're starting to see they're setting it up. They're moving pucks around. They're getting good looks. Mm -hmm. And this is very reminiscent of last year where you had Mark Stone on the power play and they were passing it around and making plays. But the thing is, they're moving around. And that's the one thing that I noticed last year is that they would try and set it up, but they're just standing there waiting for it to come to them. And they're yeah, not like, going to the puck. Yeah, it was very static. While the power play is much more fluid. And I think it's Jack Capilano is uh, in charge of the power play, if I'm not mistaken. And it's good to see. So given that we talked about Brady Chuck, we should actually talk about his line mate in this game. Connor Brown, one goal and five shots. The one thing that I really like about Connor Brown in this game is, much like with Anthony Duclair, I really liked how he and Brady played together, and I thought they actually complemented each other very well. They do, and I think Pajot fits neatly in the center there especially given how well he's played lately. But that line, it's very effective. It's a very it's a very crash and bang line, but they move the puck smoothly. And I do like seeing that. Uh, I guess another thing that we kind of do want to talk about is uh, Logan Brown is definitely in the doghouse with only 11 minutes of ice. Jonathan Davidson was six. Mm -hmm. And actually, sorry, this is a comment I want to mention on the next game because, <coughs> excuse me, G.J. Smith's, deployment of the young guns especially against the blue jackets i thought wasn't very good as a lot of the young guys were playing under 10 minutes yeah and it's frustrating because it's like you have them here to get experience and these guys can play it's not like they're getting blown out when they touch the ice against the fourth line and against the third lines logan brown nick paul and john davidson looked good more ice. Yeah, and actually talking about Logan Brown, the one thing that I noticed in the last couple of games is that when I see him with the puck, the one guy that I see is a young Cody Cece. And I'll explain why. Because when Cody Cece was here, he was always of the mindset of, when he gets to the puck, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. He would never see him skate with the puck. He would try and dump it in, try and send it off to somebody. That's what I'm seeing with Logan Brown is that he had a couple opportunities to go over the blue line and really make something, and he doesn't even try. He just chips it in into the offensive zone, and that's the mindset that I'm seeing with him right now is he's of what Cody Cece was, of don't make a mistake, don't make a mistake, and I think that's affecting him negatively on the Senators. 
Yeah, and you hate to see it. You really do. And I think, frankly, just atrocious amount of ice time that's being dished out. Davidson getting six minutes? Really? Just send him down? Like, if you're not going to utilize the guys, send them down. One line in particular in this game I really liked, and I'm not sure how you felt about it, the Domestikov, Tyranny, Duclair line. Now, I really liked how they played in this game. I liked that they tried to do sort of a hybrid of a shutdown line, but also tried to create some offense as well against Montreal. Yeah, and it's interesting because it isn't really a shutdown line, though, hey? It's like not, they... and that's why I said it's kind of a hybrid line, is that when Montreal got the puck, they tried to shut them down, whereas as soon as they got the puck, they became an offensive line at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting that Chris Tierney, Chris Tierney does have that ability to kind of play both sides of the ice well. And Anthony DeClaire, what I'm really impressed is just his 200-foot game is fantastic. And Nemestikov is, he's playing himself into a contract somewhere else, and I have a feeling that the Sens will probably be able to get probably a second-round draft pick out, out of Nemestikov at the deadline. Yeah, if we can get a second out of him, I would be happy. Yeah. And I've actually been really happy with Anisimov's play this week. So maybe the fear was they wouldn't be able to flip him at the end of the season. Maybe they will be. Another guy I want to talk about real quickly is our goalie, Anders Nilsson. 26 saves, a .896 save percentage. The one thing about this game is that none of the goals scored against him, I honestly put on him at all. No, because they're all from pretty good locations, and the Chirac goal was... Brady Kachuk screwed up. He missed the assignment, gave Sherratt a very easy shot, basically a one-on-one against Nilsson, and in he goes. And uh, Brady owned it. Yeah, and that's all you can ask of a young player, right? Is that, you know, he's willing to fess up and be like, yep, that's on me, I made a mistake. But that also Although, goes, sorry, that also goes to show the kind of person that Brady is, right? Is that... A lot of the younger players that we've had on the Sens, if they make a mistake, it's, oh, it's this person did this, or this, whatever. Brady just comes out and says, yeah, this is on me. Like, I fucked up. Yeah. One nice thing is, Borvietsky and Zaitsev pairing saw some sheltered minutes this game, and they actually did all right. The one final comment I want to make of this, and it actually has nothing to do with the game itself. Now, as you know, Tim, every now and then I'll bring up the disc jockey at the arenas that the Sens are playing in, and I'll talk about their music choices or certain music cues that they use during the game. Now, being a wrestling fan, two things that I noticed during the power play is that they use the themes for Seth Rollins and Kurt Angle when they went on the power play. And I was like, okay, that's pretty fucking awesome. Yeah, that is really, that is awesome. Although, in fairness, if a home team use the Kurt Angle theme when the other team goes on the power play, the fans can chant, you suck, you suck. <laughs> hey, that you know what, Tim? Maybe it, when All the right. auto centers get good, maybe we can talk to Alex and see if we can get the Senator fans to do that at home games. Maybe, maybe. Yeah. So, Tim, do you want to head off into the third and final game of the evening? Yeah, the one I was able to watch pretty much from start to close. Blue Jackets versus the Senators. This is a 4-3 Senators victory in overtime. Blue Jackets goals were scored by Alex Texia with two and Cam Atkinson. Senators goals were scored by Anthony DeClaire with a hat trick, including the overtime winner, and 
Connor Brown. Shots were 41-27 for Columbus. A somewhat even game overall, Columbus throughout the game played a good game on both sides of the puck as they battled back from a two-goal deficit to tying it in the third. Ottawa looked kind of flat-footed in this game and didn't play much with energy, but a hat-trick from Anthony Duclair would end up securing the W for the Ottawa Senators. And you know what, Tim? This is the easiest thing that we're going to talk about all night. Anthony Duclair, three shots, three goals, hands down is the reason we ended up winning this game. Yeah. Well, one thing that definitely didn't help was Ottawa's player deployment. They're essentially playing with five defensemen the whole night because Lajoie saw four minutes of ice. Yeah, and that's what I was saying during the Montreal game, right, is that DJ Smith's deployment of the young guys, especially in this game, as you were saying with Lajoie only playing four minutes, that's the one thing that I noticed is that Davidson didn't play much. Lajoie didn't play much. Paul didn't play much. Like I'm like, okay, what is the point of having these young guys up here if you're not going to play them? And I understand that, you know what, the team has had some success and maybe that's like, okay, well, we'll shuffle the lines around. We'll see what works. But we've already talked about in the episode, like the DeChuck-Brown-Duke line worked. That's been broken up. I don't understand why nobody has been consistently staying with Brady DeChuck all season. And even Dylan DeMello's not with Shabbat. And everything that's going on, and I don't understand what's going on, as you pointed out. What's the point of having them up here if you're not going to play them? Well, the other thing is, like, why the fuck is Zaitsev playing 27 minutes? He can't. He looked like shit. He got beaten a lot. And Nielsen bailed them out. Hardcore. The only reason Borvietsky's ice was limited to 22 minutes, and that's probably because he injured two people in one, in one event. Now, keep in mind, Tim, that the first one, I think it was on Sonny Milano, was an accident. He did make sure that the referees called the play dead. But... I hate the fact, I understand it from the Blue Jackets' point of view, like, okay, you injure one of our players, you and I are going to have a fight, but it was an accident. Like, Borbieski didn't need to go with him yeah. right after that whistle. Well, what's funny is, dude paid the price. You cannot punch out Borokov. Pick a stupid fight, be out for the rest of the game. And honestly, Anders Nilsson, I feel really held the sense into this because you could see the energy levels nose dive after midway through the second. Mm-hmm. Now let's quickly talk about him, Tim. Uh, like I said, Anders Nelson, 38 saves, a .927 save percentage. Made some fantastic saves in this game, especially on the breakaway, which really kept Ottawa in it. And like you said, he's really the only reason that Ottawa was in this game outside of Anthony DeClaire. Yeah, and uh, I know this this wasn't a save because on on a, on a two-on-one where uh, it wasn't Sonny Milano. I forget who it was now. Cam Atkinson what, got the pass and missed the net, but even if he didn't miss, Nilsson would have had the save because he came all the way across his crease on a two-on-one. And like just that level of athleticism is like, holy shit. And uh, yeah, Nilsson in particular... He was under siege that third period because Ottawa was gone. Yeah, and actually the one compliment i got to give the Blue Jackets for is that they really did a really good job in keeping us to the outside. Like, we didn't get much down the middle outside of Anthony Duclair. And the one thing that I noticed in this game is that a couple of goals in this game, the Blue Jackets goalie should have had it. Like, oh, you come down and you just slide it through a five hole... 
you got to close that shit. you got to make sure that's secure. And even the first Anthony Declare goal, he just sort of threw it at him and it went in. Well, the other thing is, is the Ottawa Senators had a goal called back in the first period that was pretty obviously offside. But that was a softy because that was, again, through the five hole. And, uh, yeah, Merzlikens, he got pulled after the first. And having a .75 save percentage on 10 shots, not going to inspire a lot of confidence. Sorry, on eight shots, not inspiring a lot of confidence. No, not at all. Or Pasalo came in and actually played a pretty good game afterwards, all things considered. Yeah, all things considered, I thought he played a pretty decent game. But the thing is, is that the energy level for the Senators wasn't there. Now, obviously, you can contribute that to an afternoon game all you want. But the fact is that, well, the Blue Jackets played in that game, and they outplayed us the entire time. Yeah. The only the one thing that Torts wasn't doing is he didn't have two players that played four minutes and five minutes. That's true. However, he did make a comment about a certain Ottawa Senator that since Twitter humorously came back to bite him in the ass with. Yeah. And uh, the camera guy, he was having a fun day. Every time Duclair scored a goal, they got the torts reaction. And what's kind of funny is uh, those two guys don't really have a beef, eh? They really don't. It honestly was just John Tortorella made a comment about Duclair when he was playing for the Blue Jackets, and then... He goes out and he scores a hat trick against his former team. Like yeah, yeah. that's the ultimate, ultimate revenge right there. Especially that second goal, which I'm not gonna lie. Oh that was a beauty. I could watch that on repeat. That was so good. So good. Oh, you know who actually had a really good goal, and it starts with a fantastic Nielsen save, is how the hell did Connor Brown get that breakaway? You know what's funny? That's the one comment I have about him, is that even though he had one goal on four shots, actually, I really did like Connor Brown in this game, but the one comment, as you made, is that it was just Columbus making a mistake. Like, they yeah. tried to pass it back to their defense, it bounces over his stick, and Brown just goes on in a breakaway and scores. Well, what's impressive is how much separation Brown was able to create. Yeah, and that's the one thing that I've actually noticed is that if you give him a breakaway, Connor Brown actually has some speed. And he's a bigger guy. It's He kind of reminds me a lot of Clark MacArthur. Like, he's not an offensive juggernaut, but he's somebody who will give you an honest effort every night. This was another one of those games where he finally found the back of the net. Yeah, and between him and Anthony DeClaire, they're racking up a decent amount of points there, eh? Oh, I know. Like, uh, it's so good. It's so good. Like, the underlying play for both of them have been, has been very... It's been good. It was just the points weren't coming. Now they're coming, and it's good to see. And I'm very happy. It couldn't happen to a better guy than you declare. And uh, January 1st can't come <coughs> Oh, I know. And you know what? I said this to one of my buddies. I said, the morning I wake up of January 1st, 2020, the one notification I better see on my phone is, Ottawa Senators have extended Anthony Duclair to a new contract. See, someone else who I liked this game was Art, Artem Anisimov. He yeah. was just solid puck moving from Anisimov, and he scored with an assist. And honestly, how often can we say that about Artem Anisimov, right? Since he's arrived here, like we can really count on one hand the amount of games that I've actually ever noticed him in. And I think part of that is just a bit of getting used to and a bit of coming back from injury. 
Because, again, he's only played in 15 games. That is true. That is true. But even before injury, though, like, he really wasn't even there. True. And at this point, I think five points in 15 games is still better than what Zach Smith is doing. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But obviously, Arnisinov brings more of an offensive aspect to his game more than Zach Smith does. Yeah, because Zach Smith has five points in 26 games. So the two final comments I want to make on this game to close out the games for another night is we're going back to the DJs again. Now, obviously, like we said, we've had Alex on the show and we've brought him up a number of times here on the show. One thing that I noticed in this game is that he played the song Old Train by the band Monster Truck. And I was sitting here watching the game because I finished watching it this morning and I'm sitting here watching it and I heard that. I'm like, Oh, that's a great song, and yeah, that's kind of cool. And then I remembered something. I was like, wait a minute. I fucking mentioned that to him on Instagram that morning, that he should play Monster Truck. I can't believe he's actually playing it. You are the DJ whisperer, Tay. I know. Honestly, after he scored that hat trick, we should really get on Alex to play Monster Truck every game now. Yeah. Yeah. And the one final comment I do want to make before we close out this game is that our guest host for next week, Alex Metzger, was actually at this game. Nice. Yeah, he sent some pictures out on his on his Twitter page, and the arena was empty. It was pretty much empty. Obviously, it was uh, an afternoon game, whatever, but he said the beers were pretty good. Oh, huh. it's good to know. Yeah. So, Tim, do you have any more comments you want to make on the game before we close out for another evening? No, I just think that the Sens have been very fun to watch. What underlying is happening is good, but we play the kids a bit more. Yeah, hopefully that could be a thing in 2020 that DJ Smith can start applying. Well, the thing is, is like the next two call-ups that, that I foresee have been playing fantastic in like Drake Batherson and uh, Rudolph Balsers have been killing the AHL. Mm-hmm, like I watched the game the other day versus the Toronto Marlies. Like, I got home from work and went over to my buddy's place, and he had the game on, and I was watching it a bit. And yeah, Drake Batherson looked pretty good against the Marlies, from what I was seeing. Well, I think Batherson leads the AHL in points. You know what? I would be okay with bringing him up as long as they give him ice time to let him do what he does on the ice. And some decent win. And, a, and a, maybe play him with Pajot or Tierney. Or maybe give call. Maybe give Colin, or maybe we can reassemble the Paul Brown-Batherson line. See how it goes. Maybe. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening to the Third Line Plug Sensecast. I hope you've enjoyed it, because believe me, Tim and I love recording them for you. We are on the National Podcast Network. You can find our page on nationalpodcast.network, where you can find our links to iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. You can find us on Twitter at Third Line Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about the games, top of the hour, or you want to comment how Tim cracked me up during this episode, shoot me an email. Third Line Plug Sense Guys at gmail.com. Okay, Tim, so we've got five games to talk about for our next episode, which. We'll be taking some time off. Now, obviously, today is December 15th, 2019, and we will be back in 11 days for Boxing Day, Tim. Oh, those are always a fun time. 
Yeah, it's always great to have you back in studio. And we also have the added pleasure of having Alex Metzger from Last Word on Puck and the Eminem Podcast joining us for that episode. Yeah, yeah. I'm 100% looking forward to it. Absolutely, man. I can't wait to talk about the five games with him, as well as the 2019-2020 Ottawa Senators first half recap. Yeah, no kidding. Let's bring her on. Yeah, man. So for the week to come, we've got five games on the schedule. We've got the game tomorrow night. We are in Florida to play the Panthers. Tuesday, we are in Tampa Bay to play the Lightning. Thursday, we are back at home to play Matt Duchesne, Kyle Turris, and the National Predators. Saturday, we are back at home to play the Philadelphia Flyers. And next Monday, the 23rd, we are at home to play the Buffalo Sabres. Or Jack Eichel if he decides to score four goals against us again. You know what? I hope he does. Good for him. Yeah. So, guys, before we head off for another night... We just want to wish you guys a happy holidays and a Merry Christmas for both of us. Now, keep in mind when you're sitting around enjoying your turkey and everything that you're doing, always make sure to please think of those that are less fortunate during this time of year. <laughs> Until next time, guys. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. And this has been Tim Jetsy. Go Sans, guys. Woo!